Welcome to the WorkSmart podcast channel. I'm Philip Allen. In this podcast, recorded after our latest webinar, Predictably Irrational, I, alongside Julie Pardy, WorkSmart's Director of Market Engagement and Regulation, explore the concept of behavioural economics before discovering why this field of economics is of such interest to the FCA and of growing importance to financial services firms. So let's get to it. Julie, thanks for joining us today on this WorkSmart podcast. We had a really interesting and engaging webinar discussion on behavioural economics. And if I recall, I started off the webinar making rational decisions, not letting my emotions cloud my judgment. I had the webinar timings, procedures and webinar routine all down pat. And you, Julie, alongside our audience, were predictably irrational, telling us how they would actually respond to paying off their credit card or not, and whether they considered themselves as above average drivers. Is this how you saw it? I think that's uh, quite a good description, Philip. And I think that's your optimism bias raising its head there in terms of your memory of everything that we talked about. But indeed, it was a great opportunity to explore with our audience who actually were quite chatty in a virtual way what their views were on what the regulator was trying to achieve through educating financial services about behavioural economics and how it impacts products and services and the way that people respond to them. OK, fair point. Maybe I'm getting a bit too carried away with all this. But behavioural economics or science isn't new, of course. Psychologists, economists, advertisers and salespeople have long been interested in why we behave the way we do and how they can use our inbuilt psychology to influence us. But why should all this matter, Julie, to regulated financial firms? The regulator is trying to bring this to the fore. They're trying very hard to learn the lessons of what went before. So why uh, firms and consumers got things wrong? And what this is all about really is trying to educate financial services about the research that's been undertaken in behavioural economics that says that actually quite often people are predictably rational, which was the title of the webinar. And if firms can understand this and if firms can appreciate how people engage in certain ways, whether it's reviewing material, looking at online charts and data, if they can try and have that in mind when they're developing products and services so that they're not basically playing with people's natural biases that means that they end up with the wrong product or solution at the end of uh, engaging in the process. So it's about education And it's about trying to take all of that theory and trying to look at it from a firm's perspective in saying, okay, we sell these products or we provide these services. How can we deliver it in such a way that will allow people to engage with it for the best results for them? You're absolutely right, Julie. By understanding how customers differ, we can target interventions to people and situations. I remember on the webinar, we quoted that large field trial of credit card customers within which researchers at the FCA found that removing minimum payment as a specified option when signing up for a DD resulted in 20% more customers agreeing to pay back a fixed amount, actually an amount higher than the minimum, which would help them pay back their debts more quickly and cheaply. However, and this was the kicker, one in 20 customers were not presented with a default minimum payment, dropped out of signing up for a DD or direct debit at all. Because of this and other consequences of the intervention, the average total debt repayment remained the same. But we shouldn't just look at behavioral science at helping firms to support better customer outcomes, product design, or financial promotion. There are other signs and there are other indications where behavioral 
economics can really help us to do with our conduct culture of our firms and organisations. Absolutely. And there's an awful lot of research that's gone into this. If we think just about the, there's been a lot of work around the diversity issue on boards, for example, where they're saying, you know, if you have too many people that think in the same way, you just get groupthink and you don't get a rounded, considered view. And I think what behavioural, okay, behavioural economics as a science is all about how people interact in that financial manner. But actually, there is something that firms can take from it because the unintended consequences and the what ifs is probably where firms could do more work before they deliver a product or a service. Certainly one thing we've noticed when we've been working on projects and one thing the regulator is really interested in is if a regulated firm is developing a new product or a new service, then they're obviously going to test it, they'll have control groups, they'll have a reason as to why they've developed the product and who they've developed it for. But quite often from a conduct and a culture perspective, what they don't do is then go back and understand, so if our target group was this, ultimately when we launched it did we sell to that target group if we didn't why not was our research wrong or are we selling the product in the wrong way to the wrong people and I think this behavioral piece is all about the regulator saying we need to get smarter at what we do and we need to be more thoughtful there was a really big study that happened in America the FCA have picked up on this and they've spoken about it And it was where the US regulator decided that there wasn't enough competition in the market for private health insurance. And so what they did was they forced regulations so that the insurers had to allow people to move from insurance provider to insurance provider at quite short notice. Now, the regulator thought that was a good thing from a competition perspective, which it might have been in theory. But the reality was that what actually happened was is that people started jumping from one insurer to the other just on price only as opposed to benefits. What happened was then that the insurance companies didn't have the surety of premium and customers. So they then put all their prices up and all that ended up happening was whilst the consumer had choice, they were actually paying more for what they paid than what they paid previously. You know, and the FCA has reviewed that study that the US regulator shared with them so that they know there's risks when you take these chances to do something different. And I think what they're asking firms to do is spend more time in the what if stage and the scenario planning with people that understand the wider implications of how behaviour and the behaviour in groups and hierarchies works to try and minimise risk through the processes. You're right. We've probably seen this accentuated over COVID-19. You might think that working as part of a team or an organization creates, um, we don't have groupthink here, we don't think all the same, but sometimes quite the opposite can happen. And therefore, that amplifies errors resulting in poor decisions and costly mistakes and therefore conduct risk issues. Do you see that firms talking much more about biasness and the impact of increasing conduct risk? From the feedback that we've had from some of the webinars and the pollings we've done, there's definitely been a belief in the industry that there is the potential for rising conduct risk, firstly to answer that question. And the reason is around the remote working and the current environment that we find ourselves in. And the fact that there is, you know, there's a lot of studies, especially I think it's in the Netherlands, there's been a lot of work done about culture and about distance and about home working. And I think what that research suggests is that the further we are away from the centre, the less connected we feel. 
culture has to be worked at harder if you've got a dispersed workforce. And because you are remote, it's easier to bend the rules. It's easier to overstep the mark, not necessarily deliberately, although some people obviously will, but it's seen as less as a consequence because you're further removed from everybody that you normally work with. So I think that there is a risk and that the leaders have to be ever more present. There's a statement, isn't there? I think you might have referred to it about leading your way out of a crisis as opposed to managing the, you know, my new shy is that in this current environment, people want to be led. But the other point is that I've definitely seen an increase in interest and knowledge around the topic, very specifically around people in compliance teams predominantly who are trying to understand this this subject and the environment and how within their firms they might be able to do something about it but I think it's very very early days and there's probably a lot more work that needs to be done for firms to educate themselves as to the detail of what this really means to them in the context of their roles. Yes and in that dispersed workforce um, that we've all got used to over the last four, four or five months senior managers not through their own fault, have been out of sight and therefore out of mind. You've created blind spots, haven't you? The organization has had blind spots. And as an SMF holder, as a senior manager, operating in that remote working environment and discharging your responsibilities under SMCR has become more difficult, hasn't it? Yeah, I believe so, because those, you know, firms will have a home working policy, won't they? Because they'll all have had some people that either work from home permanently or on occasions work from home. But when you look at everything that you do and how you do it, and then look at your conduct risks and behaviours, um, then actually it becomes maybe a working at home policy that might not have been as robust as it could have been. So, for example, how many firms from the moment they sent their people home issued instructions about printing and not printing material. I think probably a lot of firms did, but how many firms made special arrangements for special disposal of sensitive information in confidential bagging? Probably not many, you know, and and there were other other things that were, were happening at that point, but I think it just highlights different risks than those which you would always see in an office when people are working together day-to-day and if you understand the behavioural biases of people then it may be help you understand better where your key risks are as a business depending on the way that you operate. You shared that obviously the insights from an American study and also on the FCA's own website that they do refer to global research that have been done supporting organisations to try and educate them in their understanding of behavioural economics. Do you see that the regulator is well ahead of some companies operating in financial services and, and some firms therefore way behind on this learning journey? Yeah, absolutely. I do think they are way ahead. And I think if I'm honest that some people, because it's conceptual to some people, there is a maybe a not a belief that it really is the way it is. But if we think about things like you know behavioral economics if we take it away from say financial services for a moment and just think about things so we all know that you've got moneysavingexpert.com and that there's really good tips there about how you can save 10 pound a month on your electricity or your gas happen loads of people don't act on that because inherently it's that risk reward thing can I be bothered to spend time if I'm going to save myself a pound a month five pound a month now the logical person says well of course you would but we know the reality is that most people don't you know people let their money languish in really poor interest paying accounts because 
I don't know, it's, 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 they haven't got the time, they haven't got the inclination to do something about it. And I think the regulator understands that, but they need to be very careful because there has to be accountability from the consumer perspective. And it's not, it shouldn't all be on the firms because we're all, you know, we're all responsible for ourselves. And, and therefore, I would hope that they won't force firms into positions where the customer is allowed to take less responsibility for their own actions than they really should do. We've had um, statements over the last few weeks, haven't we, about the importance of prioritising and addressing vulnerable customers. And that is driven by the culture of the organisation. And it's imperative that we recognise those perhaps not so overt biasnesses that firms have adopted unknowingly and outing those effectively to be able to ensure that we perform at our peak, not only to tick a compliance box, but to actually ensure that we say the right side of the regulator, but also the right side of the customer. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, from the regulator's view will be, if you have too many people that think the same, that approach tasks and problems in the same, you're always going to get the same result. And, you know, it's, it is proven that when you get a group of people that are so harmonised by groupthink, they are blinded by the fact that they, you know, they might all agree on a decision because they all think in a particular way and you haven't got anybody there going, but what if, but how about, but why not? And, you know, and that's a risk to affirm as well. So diversity in backgrounds, in education, in, in every manner in teams is really what the regulator is hoping that, that firms are working towards. How can technology address and mitigate some of these behavioural risks that we've talked about and prevent future conduct issues? Well, I think there's an argument that says if somebody is going to choose to actively game the system, they're going to do it regardless of whether you've got technology or not. Um, I think what I've experienced, certainly in, in my career in financial services, is that very little money is truly spent on technologies and systems and solutions for people and some processes. So let me give you an example. So if you're, a, say you're an organisation that provides advice and you are subject to the training and competence rule book, you've got a number of ways that you can go about managing it. Say you've got a population of 100 people. You can manage, in theory, the risk of those people, their competence, their behaviour through a T&C regime that's applied on a manual basis. But what will happen in that instance is that the people that oversee and manage the risk will spend as much time working out what they need to do with whom and when and managing the paperwork than actually developing individuals and mitigating risk through developing conduct and behaviours. Whereas actually if you take technology and it does the the housekeeping. So you see what everybody's doing, for example, their KPIs, their data, the quality of their advice, the quality of their interactions with customers. Then what you've then got is an overseeing team. If they've got that at their fingertips, they can actually spend their time developing those people for the benefit of the business and the benefit of the customers um, because they are much better placed to see immediately where their risks are and non-conformance if they've got the data at the fingertips. 
And I think from our cultural point of view, the regulator said they're going to be a data-driven regulator. And I would ask the question, if I'm a, an organisation providing maybe complex services or detailed services to lots of people, what does it say about me if I'm not prepared to invest money in technology to have data at my fingertips like the regulator has? It definitely says something about a firm if you're going to try and string it all together with very, very manual processes. Yes, especially benchmarks against those firms who do invest in data and MI and regulatory outputs that are at the fingertips of senior managers. We've had delayed announcements by the regulator all throughout the last five months, quite rightly so, on papers like vulnerability, operational resilience, and then obviously delayed certification expectation. There's an opportunity for firms to address conduct risk issues, behavioural bias issues and potential issues this year to prepare themselves ready for the expectations in March of next year, if they use this term wisely. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I think that's the thing. What the regulators, you know, what the regulators doing, and I'm not sure everybody always looks at this, and compliance teams are really good at doing this. They're really good at going, okay, so the regulatory landscape looks like this. The, the, okay. the direction is this, and this is what we're telling you is going to happen next. And more often than not, the compliance teams will get this right. And so if the regulator is saying conduct rules is so important to us, it's so fundamentally important to this new regime that we've implemented, the biggest change of its kind in 20 years, we think you need a bit more time to do it properly, is effectively what they've said. So if mm. you don't do it properly, that's a much worse position than actually getting to a deadline and sort of being you know two weeks four weeks outside of it i'm still amazed at the number of people i used an acronym the other day which is mrm and for a firm that is a solo regulated firm that's an enhanced firm and they didn't understand what that acronym was well they're you know it's management responsibilities map and they're subject to it these firms need to realize how serious the regulator is about it and if you look at the what they're talking about they've been talking about behavioral economics for a long time now they continue to publish papers that focus on subsets of the markets and certain consumer behaviors and from that firms do need to educate their senior managers and allow their senior managers access to this information so they can help work out how they can use this for the benefit of the firm and the, and the customers that they serve. It strikes me that there's a bit of complacency that's got in. And I understand that, you know, everybody's plate spinning, haven't they, over the last five months? And they've been, you know, managing day by day, literally day by day and week by week. And, you know, now's the time to put your head above the parapet and look over, as you say, that regulatory compliance landscape. I guess it's challenging for firms, but that is not a reasonable defence, given that every other firm's in the same position in the sector. And it is for people to familiarise themselves. But there is a familiarity with accessing podcasts and accessing webinars, accessing thought leadership papers that WorkSmart and others produce. But being able to really take that time, as you say, to improve upon your own understanding of these issues that may not be front and centre to your role, but actually very much impact and affect how you treat your customers fairly, how you actually mitigate risks, and how you actually improve the compliance and the conduct profile of your organisation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the regulator is not looking for people to be experts in this science. They're not expecting that at all, but they're expecting firms to understand what the research is telling them, and then try and take from that what 
is appropriate for their firm in ensuring that the way that they manage themselves as a business is is fair and effective. Some great insights on the FCA. Any resources that you would point people to listening to this podcast that you think, hmm, gosh, that's really useful. That's a quick heads up understanding of behavioural economics and other such papers. I think I would go to the, if they don't see it when the the regulator pushes them out, the occasional paper series, because that occasional paper series started with the first one. And that's when the FCA first introduced the concept of behavioural economics. That was back in 2013. I think they're up to about number 60 now. And those occasional papers, they're not all about behavioural economics, but they're littered with really good research and experiments and you know, all sorts of survey data that gives you an insight into actually sometimes how consumers and, you know, you you and I included in that can be a little bit lazy and how firms can, you know, work with consumers to try and and do the best for them. But I, I would go there first of all, and then I would go to the FCA's insight section, which I don't think many people know about, that they've been publishing papers since at the beginning of the year there are a whole range of things to do with technology to do with regulation to do with culture and they are short 10 minute reads that are really insightful and you and i love it you know staycation august 30 degrees an occasional paper in one hand and an fca's insight read in the other <laughs> i mean that is the summer we've all been wishing for hasn't it <laughs> Yeah, well, well, maybe for some, not for all. Uh, but, uh, but yes, if you like, if you like that kind of thing, it's it's definitely uh, something to uh, take and have a look at on your staycation because it's it, some of it's absolutely fascinating. Whether you can do something with it, whether you want to do something with it, just the understanding of what some of the research tells you about our inherent traits and behaviours is is a fascinating. Bit. Thank you for bringing us back to the point of this podcast. I do appreciate it, Julie. Until next time, Julie, thanks very much for joining us on the WorkSmart podcast. And until next time, brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. To receive a recording and slides of our webinar on Predictably Irrational, please email info at worksmart.co.uk. To learn how WorkSmart's SMCR software, Accord, can provide your firm with clear central record keeping, strong corporate governance, clear accountability, and evidence of employee fitness and proprietary, please visit worksmart.co.uk.